Hey, look, it's good to be with you tonight. What a great story as we get into Acts. It is this narrative, this story that is quite engaging. Luke's a good storyteller, so I'm looking forward to diving into that. But why don't we pray and ask God to help us as we come to his word. Father, thank you for making yourself known to us. Thanks for showing us the way of salvation through faith in your Son. Please tonight, teach us through your word that we might be ready to serve you for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Uh, Well, uh, up on screen is a picture of something that's pretty old. I I wonder if you ever saw these in your lifetime. Uh, It was the old school motivational poster. Have you ever seen that? I don't know. I I tried to find out when they were a thing, and I think it was the 90s, which is before most of you were born. Uh, Sadly, the 90s were excellent. Um, But there's a whole suite of these. You'd get the big picture that kind of looked just nice and calming, and then you'd have a key word and a phrase that was meant to encourage you. Don't get discouraged. It's often the last key in the bunch that opens the lock. You go, hmm, yes, that's good. I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to move... I don't think they really worked, uh, and that's why you haven't seen them, because uh, we got sick of them. Um, but because they didn't work, it kind of was a whole new offshoot came of demotivational posters, satires of these. I love this one from a calendar. Um, next one along. I'll give you a second to read that. Until you spread your wings, you have no idea how far you can walk. That's good, right? That's a good dose of realism for us. Um, We need to recognize our limits. Uh, So these motivational posters might not have worked, but what they were trying to do is give us some encouragement when we get run down, when we get discouraged, when we just run out of steam. And I know many of you are uni students, you're feeling that at this point of semester, right? Why am I waking up to study again? The exam's coming up, I just, let me find something else to do. We need that encouragement, that motivation. Uh, And that's what these posters are meant to do. They may not have succeeded, uh, but that's the design. It's a good design. The book of Acts is designed to do that kind of thing. The book of Acts is coming to us with this purpose to motivate us, to spur us on, to to lift our sights, to lift our hearts and go, keep going. There's a great thing for you to be involved in. Be inspired. Make big calls. Do big things. The, The book of Acts is inspirational in that sense. And so it's a very different book to the books we've been studying recently in church. Uh, Proverbs was great, it gave us these short, snappy pieces of wisdom, just little principles to put into practice in life. Uh, Philippians before that, it it told us true things about Jesus, and from those true things it gave us commands, things that we could just go out and obey, and we understood how they connected to the truths, that was nice and simple. The book of Acts is a bit trickier because it's history. It's a history book telling us what happened in the first few decades after Jesus walked the earth. So as we read the book of Acts, we don't get commands. It doesn't tell us to do anything in a command kind of way. It doesn't even show us an example that we're meant to go out and replicate down to the detail. And some people approach Acts like that. They think, oh, this must be what church is meant to be like. This is the example. And if we can go back to doing church like in the book of Acts, then everything will go well. But that's not how Acts is meant to function. Instead, reading this book of Acts is like reading a good Christian biography. I don't know if you read biographies. Uh, They can be great. They can be really encouraging and inspiring. Particularly, I find mission biographies, Christian missionary biographies, they introduce you to people who are just like you, 
with the limitations that you have or the opportunities that you have and, and you see the way that these people think and the things that they do, the decisions they make and it inspires you. It spurs you on to take your Christian life more seriously, to move to a new country, to be bolder, to make radical decisions, to persevere. Quick little plug, if you're a uni student, you should read on the Cambridge Seven. Those guys are super inspirational. Uni students who gave up much to take the gospel to the nations. That's one example of that. His mission biographies motivate and inspire, and that's what the book of Acts is going to do. As we read these stories of God's work in history, it's going to spur us on. Now, it's more than just a mission biography, because this one's written by God. This is in the Bible. Uh, And so it will inspire and motivate us with things that are true, things that did happen in history. We can trust that. Uh, And it's going to be good to study together. Now, we've jumped in at chapter 10. You've heard from that reading. So the first thing we need to do is understand the context. Uh, It's a bad thing to jump into a book halfway through. That won't help you out. We need to figure out what's happened so far. So if you've got your outline there, there's some space to take notes. There'll only be two headings tonight. So you can put this first one at the top of the left. Uh, Previously in Luke Acts. There's your first heading. We're going to get our bearings, see the context. Previously in Luke Acts. And you'll notice from that heading that this book of Acts, it's combined with a book called Luke. Acts is part two of a two-volume work. It's kind of a sequel. The first part is what we know as the Gospel of Luke. What I want you to do, I want us to go back there to Luke. If you've got your Bible there, flick back with me. The verses will come up on screen, but it's good for you to know where things are in your Bible. So come back two books, Luke chapter 1. If you've got the Bible on your phone, you can scroll there or whatever you do to change books there. But this is the introduction to Luke and Acts together as a single volume. Luke chapter 1, I'll read from verse 1 to 4. Many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. It also seemed good to me, since I've carefully investigated everything from the very first, to write to you in orderly sequence, most honourable Theophilus, so that you may have certainty of the things about which you've been instructed. Alright, so we, we learn there that this book of Luke and Acts, they're the result of careful investigation. Verse 3, that's what Luke says, he's carefully investigated, he's gone right back to the beginning, to the very start of Jesus' life. And he's conducted good historical inquiry. He's got the eyewitnesses. He's compiled their accounts. He's compared them. He's checked them to see that they line up. And then he's taken all of that research, all of his interviews, all of his reading, and he's written it down into an orderly account, an orderly sequence, something that can make sense for us. But there's one important thing I want you to notice from this introduction. Have a look at verse 1. Is there anything that strikes you as odd in verse 1? And there's an odd little word, I think. Notice that Luke talks here about events that have been fulfilled among us. That's not the way we'd normally talk, is it? You might talk about events that happened, but Luke says events that have been fulfilled. And what he's highlighting there is that everything he's going to speak about in the book of Luke and Acts, it's all God fulfilling his promises. It's God keeping His Word. Promises that God made across the centuries that we read back in the Old Testament. Jesus comes along and He fulfills them. And that does a couple of things for us. One, it helps us understand what the Old Testament is about. 
If these books are the fulfillment of the Old Testament, then as we read Acts, we're going to see what the Old Testament meant and how Jesus fulfills that. The second thing it does is it gives us confidence, certainty, which is what Luke's saying he wants. He wants us to be certain. It gives us confidence and certainty because we know that God is still keeping His promises. If He's kept them in the past, He's still keeping them today, they're still being fulfilled. So Luke introduces with this idea of fulfillment. Now jump over to the end of the book, come to Luke 24. Good to hear those pages flicking. Luke 24, we'll pick it up at verse 44. At this point, Jesus, uh, he's died, he's come back to life again, he's speaking to his disciples. He says this, verse 44, Jesus told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. He also said to them, this is what is written, the Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So Luke ends with this idea of fulfillment again, and notice the three things that he says have to be fulfilled. Jesus talks about three things there in verse 46. First, the Messiah would die. Well, that's happened by Luke 24. Jesus has died. The Messiah would rise from the dead the third day. Well, that's happened too. Jesus is alive again, speaking to his disciples. Now notice the third one in verse 47. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in Jesus' name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. That hasn't happened yet at the end of Luke 24. And so Luke ends with this kind of cliffhanger. You know how on Shorty Street they always end the season with that big cliffhanger moment, oh, who's died, what's going to happen? Maybe you don't watch Shorty Street, that's good, I don't either. Uh, Maybe it's like the post-credit scene in the Marvel movie. You know, you've watched the Marvel movie and then there's that final bit, you go, no, what's going to happen next? I've got to read on, I've got to watch the next one. That's what Luke's doing here. He's going, there's more to come. There's a promise that hasn't been fulfilled. And so Luke ends with this expectation. God has kept his word. The Messiah has died and risen. God will keep his word. The nations will hear about Jesus. So let's come to season two, the book of Acts. Flick over there now to chapter one. Have a look at the way Luke introduces book two. So verse one of Acts one, Luke kind of connects this back to the first book that he's written. But I want you to see verse eight. Verse 8 is the one that will be significant for the structure of the book of Acts. Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus speaks to his disciples and says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Do you notice it's the same thing that Luke talked about in chapter 24? Jesus will be proclaimed to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. That sets the program for this book of Acts. I've got a map that will show you a bit of how that plays out. So, you can see Jerusalem, that's kind of the capital city of Israel down there, that's where Jesus walked and talked and died, that's where he rose from the dead, that's where his disciples kind of met and in Acts chapter 2, there's this big Pentecost sermon, Peter preaches the news of Jesus and thousands become Christian, thousands turn to follow Jesus. 
And then over the next few chapters, the gospel keeps spreading in Jerusalem before it spreads out to that next circle, the blue circle, Judea and Samaria. That's kind of the nation of Israel, the region around, the, the fulfillment of the Old Testament promise that the nation would be united, the whole nation of Israel coming back together into one. And so that goes up to chapter 9. Have a look at Acts 9, verse 31. See the way Luke kind of highlights this moment for us. Acts 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened. So by the time we hit chapter 9, these first two bits have happened. God's promise has been fulfilled. People in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria have heard the news of Jesus... There's one bit left to the nations, to the end of the earth. And that's what happens from chapter 10 to the end of the book. In chapter 10, which we had read for us earlier, this gospel news of Jesus crosses a new boundary. It reaches the nations. A non-Jewish man, Cornelius, believes in Jesus and is forgiven. See the program of the book of Acts. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth repentance for forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name is proclaimed. So God is trying to show us in these books, these books of history, that He keeps His promises. He's giving us certainty that these things happen, that He's faithful. And here's the kicker, this is why this is all relevant for us. Because this story doesn't finish at the end of the book of Acts. We don't get to the end of Acts and get this nice kind of resolution that goes, oh, mission complete. We can sit back and relax now, it's all done. No, no, come over to Acts chapter 28. See the way that this book finishes. Acts 28, we'll pick it up at verse 30. At this point, Paul, he's ended up in Rome, the, the capital city of the empire. Here's how it's described. Paul stayed two whole years in his own rented house and he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness. And without hindrance. See, the book of Acts ends on this hopeful note. The kingdom is being proclaimed. It's in Rome. Rome's not the end of the earth. Rome's not all the nations. This is the center, the capital city, from where the gospel can then go out and and has gone out over history. But it's an open-ended finish to this book. That's why we've called this series To Be Continued. Because the story of Acts is the same story that you and I are still living today. What Olivia talked about, and wasn't that a great story to hear? A neighbor responding to the news of Jesus becoming a Christian. What Olivia experienced is the same thing that the early Christians are experiencing in the book of Acts. Empowered by God's Spirit, they, they speak the news of Jesus, and some people reject that news. Other people accept that news of forgiveness. Yes, we're in a different country. Yes, it's a different generation. Technology has progressed, empires have come and gone. But the same God is continuing to fulfill His promise now as then. It's the same Lord Jesus completing His work in the world. It's the same Holy Spirit giving us boldness to speak of Jesus in Auckland today. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name will be preached in all the world. So as you speak of Jesus to family, to friends, to colleagues, to strangers, you are joining God in the work that he has promised to do. And so this book of Acts will inspire us. We're going to see God very clearly manipulating the course of events to direct the gospel news of Jesus in different ways. There is no normal way in the book of Acts. 
Uh, Sometimes Christians end up in prison and God saves them miraculously. We'll see that next week in Acts 12. Angel rocks up and just opens the gate so Peter can get out. Other times, Christians are in prison and God leaves them there. Doesn't rescue them from it. There's no normal. Uh, Sometimes huge numbers of people receive Jesus and are saved. 3,000, 5,000. Other times, it seems like no one's receiving Jesus. It's just a small trickle. There's, There's no normal, but in all these different ways, we see God at work. And so it encourages us to join in to that task. The book of Acts, it it doesn't present us with the normal Christian life. Uh, It's not like we're meant to expect visions and dreams and all these miraculous escapes. Even within Acts, those things aren't normal. But in this book, God wants our trust in Him to grow. That as we see these different ways that God is faithful to His Word, faithful to His people, we we would trust Him. And God wants us to join Him in the fulfilment of His promise, that we would be people who proclaim Jesus with boldness in in Auckland, across Aotearoa, to the three billion people in unreached people groups across the world. Three billion people that need someone to come to them with the news of Jesus that they might hear and be saved. Now, for some of you, that gets you excited. You're like, yes, I'm pumped to learn from Acts. I'm, I'm keen to get inspired and encouraged for evangelism. Let's get into it. Um, for others of you, you're probably sitting there thinking, mm, I don't know about this. I might miss church for the next few weeks. Sounds a bit scary. I don't, I don't want to be one of those Christians that talks about Jesus. I don't want to be one of those Christians that tells people they need to repent, that tells people they need to be forgiven for sin. That's a bit offensive, isn't it? And look, I understand. I I know that that can feel offensive, it can feel scary to to call people to change their beliefs, to tell people they need to change their ways of life, that can feel arrogant. But as we go through Acts, you'll see examples of how the early Christians of Jesus. You'll see that even back then, some people were offended by the message. That's why they locked them up in prison and tried to kill them. They were offended by it. Other people uh, accepted the message. And that was all okay. Even as the Christians went through the pain of suffering, that was part of God's plan. And when people did receive Jesus and made significant changes to their beliefs and their lives, they rejoiced that someone had spoken to them about Jesus. So do come along through this series. might be scary at first, but come along and, and let God work in you through this book of Acts. Get along to your connect group through the week where you can talk about how it's feeling. You can talk about the conversation you might be having or that you might be scared about having. You can talk about what this is going to look like in your life. But I hope what you've seen from this introduction to the book of Acts, that this is the age that we're living in. This is our time. Remember those things that God has promised. Jesus has died. Jesus has risen. We're now in the age where repentance for the forgiveness of sins is being preached to all the world. That's why we're still alive. That's what God is doing in the world. There's nothing else. That's His mission. So let's not sit on the sidelines and and let that go past us. Let's get involved in that work. God's invited us to participate in it. Let's join God in seeing His promise fulfilled as we take the gospel to the nations, yeah? That's all by way of introduction to the book of Acts. I hope that sets us up well for the next 10 weeks as we move towards Christmas here. But let's dive into Acts chapter 10. Let's see how this passage inspires us today. If you're taking notes, you can put your second heading in there now. Wherever you're up to, might be top of that right-hand page. Uh, The second heading is, From Joppa to the Nations, God Doesn't Discriminate. 
from Joppa to the nations, God doesn't discriminate. And like I said before, uh, chapter 9, verse 31 is the end of a big section. Judea and Samaria are reached. 9.32 starts the new section. We pick it up with Peter. Uh, Peter is also known as Simon or Simon Peter. Just put the names together. Uh, What you need to know about Peter is that he was a key leader in the early church. In the Gospel of Luke and in these early chapters of Acts, he was something of a spokesman for the other disciples. He spoke up for them. That's why he was the one who preached in Acts chapter 2. He's a key leader, particularly in Jerusalem, that heartland of Jewish Christianity. So at the end of chapter 9, he's gone to Lydda, and we've got another map up there just to give you a sense of what this looks like geographically. So you see Jerusalem there, that capital city of Israel, uh, Lydda towards the coastline. So Peter's headed off there to heal a guy named Aeneas who was paralysed. From there he gets called to Joppa, where he heals a woman named Dorcas, great name, Uh, Bring that one back today, I reckon, if you're looking for a name for your child, Dorcas. Um, So Peter's there, he's hanging out, he's healed a woman there. Uh, And then in chapter 10, Luke's a good storyteller, he gives us this cutscene. We move from Peter in Lydda up the coast to Caesarea. It's about 60 kilometres away. Uh, And so in chapter 10, we meet this guy Cornelius, uh, 10 verse 2. Keep your Bible open and have a look, we'll just work through this story and highlight some different bits. Acts 10 verse 2, Cornelius is described as a devout man who feared God. He's a Roman. He's a Roman soldier, part of the, he's a centurion within that Roman regiment. Uh, That means he's not a Jew. But he's gotten to know the Jewish religion. He's recognised that the Jewish God, Yahweh, is the true God. And so that's why he's called a God-fearer. That's what that term God-fearer means, if you see it in the Bible. A Gentile who worships Yahweh as God. So he prays to God, he, he gives charity to the Jews. But Cornelius hasn't become a Jew himself. He's not circumcised, he's still non-Jewish. We might need a bit more context to understand this, right? Before Jesus, the only way that you could be in a right relationship with God was if you were a Jew, God had introduced himself to Israel, he'd given them a religious system with sacrifices, with a moral code, and if you followed that, trusting God to forgive your failures which would come, then you would have a good relationship with God. That was the only way. And because of that special relationship that Israel had with God, the Jews saw the whole world in two categories. You're either Jewish or not Jewish. That was all there was, that was all that mattered. If you weren't Jewish, they called you a Gentile. Uh, And the Jews felt pretty superior to the Gentiles. I mean, they were the ones that God had made himself known to. They were the ones that God had given his law to. They were the ones that God had given a land, a special land, a flourishing land. God had promised to look after them forever. In their religious language, the Jews were clean. Everyone else was unclean or impure. So there's a pretty sharp divide between Jews and Gentiles. I was trying to think of a modern equivalent to get a sense of that. Uh, maybe the Republicans and the Democrats in America are pretty divided. I, uh, the closest I could actually think of was, say, apartheid in South Africa. You think about the notion of segregation there, how separate everything was. Not able to eat together, not catching a bus together, so much separation. That's what it's like for the Jew and the Gentile. But with that added element of religious superiority. This is starkly divided. Now, there was a possibility of being a Gentile and choosing to become a Jew. 
wasn't an easy process. It's still not an easy process today to convert to Judaism. Uh, part of it meant getting circumcised if you're a man. That's part of what God called the Israelites to do. So you could be a Gentile and become a Jew. Cornelius hasn't done that. Although he recognizes Yahweh as God, he's still a Gentile. He hasn't been circumcised. He's as Jewish as you can be while still being a Gentile. So that means he's still not in a right relationship with God. That's about to change. Three o'clock, one afternoon, angel turns up to Cornelius and says, uh, all right, God's heard your prayers. Send some of your men down to Joppa and find this guy, Peter. Invite him over. He's going to come and talk to you. Cornelius obeys, uh, and then Luke gives us some split-screen action. You know, I love that. 24 was such a revolutionary TV show with the split-screen. It's what Luke's doing here. They stole the idea. Uh, verse 9, Cornelius' men, they're walking along the road, and then we also see at the same Peter heading up onto the roof to pray. Uh, now, that's, don't picture roofs like we have them today, not angled like that. They're flat roofs, so Peter could have comfortably been up there to pray. They were good places to hang out on warm summer nights. Uh, it's midday at this point. Peter's hungry, probably hasn't eaten that day. They didn't tend to do breakfast back then in Israel. So he's hungry, he's praying, and he falls into a trance. He sees this big thing coming down from the sky. It's just called a big object that looks like a sheet. It's lowered down from the sky, and in it are all these animals. Birds, reptiles, maybe some dogs and cats, uh, camels, pigs. We don't really know. It says all the four-footed animals. Comes down, and Peter hears a voice that says, Get up, kill them, and eat them. Yeah, maybe Peter was just really hungry. Maybe that happens to you when you're hungry. You get visions about... I don't think that's what's going on. But, but at this point, Peter is a good Jewish man, and part of the Jewish law is food laws. Animals that were clean that could be eaten and other food that was unclean that couldn't be eaten. It was one of those things that highlighted the difference every day between Jew and Gentile. Every time you ate, you'd remember, oh, we're different. We eat different things. And so Peter sees these animals, sees that there's unclean animals in there, and he's like, no, I've never eaten anything unclean. I'm not going to kill and eat these animals. And the voice replies in verse 15, what God has made clean, don't call unclean. That's kind of the key phrase for this vision. What God has made clean, don't call unclean. Three times Peter's told to kill and eat these animals and then that sheet-like object goes back up into the sky. And Peter's perplexed in verse 17, deeply perplexed. Because this is confusing. It'd be like, it's not just confusing, but revolting. It'd be like going to your vegan friend. I trust you've got a vegan friend. It's Auckland, after all. You know someone that's a vegan. Go to your vegan friend, bring a cow, and go, all right, I want you to kill and eat this cow. Like, that's, that's revolting. That's offensive. What are you doing? That's how Peter would have felt. He's worked so hard every day. He's been eating the right thing, and he's being told to kill and eat these animals. And so Peter's pondering this vision. He's perplexed. We get another split-screen moment, and we see that Cornelius' men have turned up. God's Spirit tells Peter, go down, go with them. Just don't worry about what they're asking. Just go. It'll be all right. And so he sets off with them up to Caesarea. Two days for them to come down, two days for Peter to go up. It's been four days before Peter turns up at Cornelius' door. And he finds a big crowd there. Cornelius is excited. He's invited all his family, all his friends, all these Gentiles, all these people who eat unclean foods. There's a crowd of them 
waiting to hear what God has to say through Peter. And as Peter walks into that crowd, the penny drops. He understands the vision. He understands what God was trying to teach him. Have a look at verse 28. This is the aha moment for Peter. Acts 10 verse 28. Peter said to them, You know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. But God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. See the lesson? Peter's vision wasn't just about food, but about people. Peter's taught by God that he's to go and to be with these Gentiles, these non-Jews. When he hears that God has sent an angel to speak to Cornelius, his response in verse 34, it's the same lesson again. Verse 34, Peter began to speak. Now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. The lesson for Peter, the same lesson about God today that's, that's true of God today. God's the same yesterday, today, forever. God doesn't discriminate. The Holy Spirit comes into the story at this point to really drive home this lesson. I don't know if you noticed uh, at the end, as Peter's speaking, the Holy Spirit comes on Cornelius and the household and something pretty extraordinary happens. They start speaking in tongues in verse 46. Now, some people come along at this point and go, oh, that's, that's normal. That's what happens when you become a Christian. You speak in tongues. You're a Christian. You haven't spoken in tongues yet. That's, that's weird. Some people read Acts like that. But I want to say Acts isn't showing us the normal Christian life. This is not a normal moment in the story. This is something extraordinary. It's only the second time in the book of Acts that speaking in tongues is mentioned. We're not meant to read this and go, oh yeah, that's, that's normal. Uh, God here is making an example of Cornelius. You know that phrase when you make someone an example? Uh, you kind of act in an extreme way, perhaps no one's listening to the teacher and so the teacher gets someone out and I don't know, shames them in front of the whole class just to make an example of them so that then hopefully they don't have to do that again. Hopefully that one moment teaches everyone the lesson. This is like a nice positive version of that rather than a punishment version of that. God is acting in an extraordinary way, a massive way to teach a lesson that hopefully he doesn't have to teach again. Teaching the lesson that he doesn't discriminate, that Gentiles can be God's people too. See, have a look at the way the characters respond in the story. This is part of what tells us that this isn't normal, that this is extraordinary. Have a look at verse 45. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Notice the Jew-Gentile thing going on there. This is such a big culture-shifting moment for the Jews that God needs to make the lesson crystal clear. Gentiles can be just as much God's people as Jews without needing to become Jews. That generations-long division and separation between Jew and Gentile comes to an end with Jesus. To make sure we really get the point, the whole story gets repeated in chapter 11. 11 verse 1 to 18, Peter heads back to Jerusalem and he gets criticized for what's happened. Have a look there, if you've got your Bible, have a look at chapter 11 verse 3. He's back to these Jewish Christians in Jerusalem and they say to him, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. 
They haven't learnt yet. They, they don't get the lesson. So Peter tells them what happened. And have a look at the way he climaxes his defence, the big argument that he makes. Have a look at verse 15. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came down on them, just as on us, us Jews, at the beginning. So verse 17, if then God gave them the same gift that he also gave to us when we believed, how could I possibly hinder God? Peter's argument is, we Jews in Acts 2, we received the Spirit in this extraordinary way, and now God's shown the same way with the Gentiles in Acts 10, they're saved exactly the same, just as equally the people of God. This is not a story about the normality of speaking in tongues. This is a story about the remarkable truth that God does not discriminate. Have a look at the response in verse 18. Peter's argument works. He's pointed out the Spirit coming with tongues. Verse 18. When they heard this, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, So then, God has given repentance resulting in life even to the Gentiles. It's a big lesson, one that perhaps we might think we're kind of past in 21st century Auckland, that we already know this, but it's a huge moment in the history of the church. God doesn't discriminate. And Peter reflects this lesson in his little sermon to Cornelius. Have a look back at chapter 10, verse 43. It's the final sentence or statement that Peter has in his little sermon. It shows that he's learnt the lesson. He says, all the prophets testify about him, Jesus, that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Jesus is for everyone. Anyone who believes in him will be forgiven, Jew or Gentile. You can see the consequence of that for us today, right? Uni church, the church, it, it ought to be this great shining light of racial harmony within our world of division. The church can be a community where Chinese and Japanese worship God together, where Indian and Pakistani can share a meal together, where the British and the French, where the Pakiha and the Māori, where the Serbian and the Croat, the Tongan and the Samoan, whatever racial divide you want to bring in there, the church should be a place where that divide does not exist. Now, that might be a challenge to your heart tonight. It might be that you feel culturally superior to someone else. Do you think that becoming a Christian means becoming culturally like you? That's going to be an issue. We've all got different parts of our culture that get critiqued when we become a Christian, things we need to give up. There's no one culture that reflects Christianity. It might be that if someone from a particular country walks through our church doors, you'd avoid them. You might call them some derogatory name. Maybe inwardly, maybe outwardly, there's some friends. Perhaps you would decidedly not invite them to your house for a meal. You don't want them in your space. If that's you, then you need to learn this lesson from God tonight. God doesn't discriminate. Do you? Racism has no place in God's church. Now, The reason the church can be united in this way is because we all have the same need for God. We all approach God in exactly the same way. Peter says to Cornelius in verse 36, Jesus is Lord of all. Not just Lord of one nation. Jesus is the risen King over all the world, over every nation. He's the chief over every tribe. 
That means in verse 42 that Jesus is the one who will judge the living and the dead. All of us, every human being who has ever lived will one day stand before Jesus to give an account of our life. The things we've done, the things we've thought, the things we've said. And in that moment of judgment, all of us will be found wanting. We all deserve punishment. Even Cornelius, this devout man who feared God and prayed and gave charity. At the start of this story, he was not saved. He, on his own two feet, with all of his good works, turns up on judgment day. And here's the verdict, guilty. That's true of you as well, and of me. We'll stand before Jesus as judge, and as he looks at our lives, the verdict will be guilty. But for those who believe in Jesus, for those who acknowledge that Jesus is Lord of all, the sin that makes us guilty has been forgiven. Remember, that's the message. That's 10 verse 43. Whoever believes in Jesus receives the forgiveness of sins. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter your annual income level. It doesn't matter your political preference, who you're voting for this election. We all need Jesus. And that's what unites the church. So perhaps this story tonight encourages you to come to God and ask for forgiveness. Perhaps you thought that, you know, being like Cornelius would be enough. Maybe you're saying some prayers, doing some good deeds, and you think, oh, that's, that's good, I'm, I'm earning my way before God. But no, God worked in an extraordinary way that Cornelius would hear of Jesus so that he could be forgiven. And God's brought you along tonight that you might hear of Jesus and ask for forgiveness. If that's you tonight, that, that can happen. Acknowledge Jesus as your God. Acknowledge that he's the one true God. Ask him for forgiveness and he'll forgive you. And we want to celebrate that with you. So make sure you let someone know if that's you and we can walk alongside you and help you learn what it is to live the Christian life. But maybe that's one way that this story is inspiring you tonight. It's inspiring you to take that first step and trust in Jesus. Or maybe this story tonight inspires you to speak to someone about Jesus this week. You probably won't get a vision telling you who you should talk to. It's one of those things in this passage that's not normal. I mean, it might happen. Uh, you might get a prompting of the Spirit with a particular name and you go and talk to them. It's happened to me on the train before. It turned out in pretty average conversation. But, you know, that might happen. It's not normal. It doesn't happen for everyone in the book of Acts every time. Don't sit there waiting for a vision before you talk to anyone about Jesus. Get out there and talk. Start the conversation. Who will you speak to this week? Who are you going to invite along to that Explaining Christianity series? Uh, who are you going to share a meal with? Tell them about the God who doesn't discriminate, but saves anyone who believes in Jesus. Maybe that's where this story will inspire you tonight. How will the story of Acts be continued in your life this week? God will fulfill his promise. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached to all the nations. How will that story be continued in your life as you head out into this week? Let's pray. Father, thank you that we, most of us as Gentiles, can be saved in Jesus. Please keep us from any racism. Help us to know our hearts and see if there's any ways that we're discriminating. May we not stand in your way. You're out to save all nations through Jesus. You've opened that way for salvation to all people in Jesus. 
And so keep us from any discrimination. Help us to be like you, welcoming all who would come. And teach us, as you taught Peter, not to call any person unclean. May we be, as Uni Church, a shining light to our nation, displaying that racial harmony that our world is so longing for right now. We also ask that you direct our paths this week. Give us opportunities to speak of Jesus as Lord, as Judge, as the one who forgives. We ask that in Jesus' name, for his glory. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.